overcoming the throes of drug abuse to eventually lead a national organization and movement to help others in our communities experiencing addiction is the very definition of triumph and who a passionate pioneer is. During this episode, Fred Munch, the president of the Partnership to End Addiction, shares his heart-rending personal journey and how his experiences transformed his life to serving others across our country. While together, Fred also outlines how the Partnership to End Addiction came to be, why technology has been transformative for the people he serves, where he sees the organization heading into the future, and how you and your community can get involved. Join me to hear Fred's powerful and inspiring message for all of us as we continue to work together to reimagine the health of our nation. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Fred, welcome to our podcast. I'm honored to spend time with you today. Mike, thanks so much for having me on. Really grateful to be here. Well, Fred, I'm grateful to spend time with you in order for our community to learn how you and your team mobilize families, policymakers, researchers, and healthcare professionals to more effectively address addiction on a national scale. But before we dive into this inspiring and important work, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment and visit passionatepioneers.com in order to share your feedback and ideas. Simply scroll to the comments section at the bottom of each posted episode. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Fred, it's almost time for our community to learn how Partnerships to End Addiction is working to transform how our nation addresses addiction. But first, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit so we can get to know you. I'm going to randomly select a question here. We're going to talk hobby. What's one thing you love to do outside of your work with Partnership to End Addiction? Mike, I'm unapologetic generalist. So sometimes it's hard to say and moment to moment it changes. What I'm really enjoying now, particularly during the pandemic, that I'm not going out as much as just writing music in the basement. I used to be a singer in a band and, you know, we would tour and play and I haven't been able to do it in a long time. And I lost that passion a little bit. And being alone in the house with the family has given me some time to just go in the basement, write music. I've been amazed at what GarageBand can achieve right now, where it took a giant engineering board 30 years ago. Now I can do it all in the basement and really having some fun experimenting. And you know, one of the great things is my kids play as well. So I have critics in the house to help me hone the music as I go along. You play several instruments. Is there any instrument that you favor? Uh, I'm mostly a singer and I sing and play guitar. And what I've learned is vocals are an instrument. So I'll put a few guitar tracks down and then I'll put five, six, seven, eight vocal tracks over it. And that has allowed me to play multiple instruments in a way so I can change the vocal tone. I can make different sounds, you know, and just have fun with it and record 10 or 12 tracks to make a composition that I otherwise would never have been able to make. Well, Fred, you tell the family band, 
at any point you need cowbell, I'm your guy. I got cowbell down. There you go. You, Will Ferrell, come over. We're ready to have you, Mike. I love it. That's so exciting. So cool that you and the family get to do that. It's important to have those creative outlets and so cool that you get to play with your children as well. Very, very cool. So thank you for sharing that, Fred. I really appreciate being able to learn a little bit about yourself. And I'm looking forward to diving into your inspiring journey and mission after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. ClearChild leverages technology, the power of psychology and human interaction to diagnose, treat, and improve the success and happiness of children who are affected by mental and behavioral health challenges, such as autism, ADHD, and learning issues. They know that with the right treatments, therapies, and support, children can see measurable improvement across their mental health, happiness, and overall life functioning. Their AI-enabled mobile technology facilitates ongoing data collection, improving the efficacy of their program with every child they help. ClearChild Psychology serves both families as well as partner clinicians to ensure they are putting help in the hands of the most families possible and paving the way in providing affordable and accessible mental health care for the millions of children in need of support. We are incredibly grateful for ClearChild's support of our future generations and for their community champion sponsorship of Passionate Pioneers. To learn more about ClearChild, head over to clearchildpsychology.com slash passionatepioneers or visit the episode notes and click on their link. We are back with Fred Munch, the president of the Partnership to End Addiction, and we have a very important conversation lined up today, so let's get after it. Fred, again, thank you so much for spending time with us, making a pit stop on our podcast. We have a lot to cover. I know you've been at it now for a number of years with Partnership to End Addiction, but how did you get into this environment in the first place? Give us a little bit of that journey, that history lesson, and then we're going to go into what the team is doing today to continue your mission across our nation. But first, give us a little bit of that journey and a little of that history lesson. Sure. It's a long and winding road for sure. I come at this both from a personal experience, the clinical lens, the research lens, the technologist lens. I'm in recovery from heroin addiction, and that was a dark road. It profoundly shaped my experience. At the same time, I was always, you know, drawn to service. I was an outreach worker. I was a case manager. And I would see these massive gaps in service. And I would say to myself, how do we fix this? But it was like being in service and struggling with addiction is this bizarre experience. I was handing out condoms to street use while going to the other side of town to cop heroin so I could function. And then obviously that was not a winning strategy. And along the road, having brief periods of recovery, falling back in, and then finally getting it, it allowed me to have this foundation. And I applied to graduate schools in clinical psychology. And I've been moving forward ever since with that service lens. And I think seeing that darkness made me question the basic tenets of what we were learning in school. You know, sitting on a couch across from someone to teach coping skills when we weren't doing it in the real world. And what I learned was that behavior change theory and insight helps inform what we do, but we have to constantly question these models. The sitting in a room is one small component of the behavior change process, but behavior change happens in the real world. It's about an emotional experience, an ongoing connection with others, reminders, reminders, reminders of why change is important, being driven to some meaning, being connected to others, and really realizing like groups like AA or social movements of mutual health or connections or phone calls 
were really driving change and making change happen. So it was really drove me to say, how do we make change happen in the real world? And obviously technology was the common mediator of all of this. And, you know, I've really been playing in the sandbox ever since. And my journey is long and winding, as I said, and, and I'll keep it brief as much as I can, but I got a faculty position at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons after school, but I left pretty quickly. I was recruited by a biofeedback company that built a consumer-based biofeedback device called the Stress Eraser. And while the company didn't make it, it sort of gave me this glimpse into there's a real direct consumer world and we can empower consumers directly. The other thing it's taught me is meditation seems easy, but it's really hard and practicing is really hard. And so what can we do to make it easy for someone? And so like really this combination of my own experience, the literature on consumer feedback drove me towards how do we make it easy for people? How do we give them a narrative? You know, and that's both easy in physical and environmental space. And this is where tech comes in. And psychologically, how do we make it easy? You know, it's really hard to talk to someone in person and digital gives us that little barrier in a good way. So we feel more comfortable reaching out. and. Then over the next 10 years, I did a number of things, including wrote a few patents that were just approved on using passive stimulation to mimic the effects of therapeutic breathing. That's a little fun side project I have called Vegas Labs. And, you know, ultimately when I say this out loud, I'm thinking like, oh, wow, <laughs> like that's a lot going on here. But ultimately my work really led me to work in addiction and because of my personal experience and my passion. And in 2009, I started a company called Mobile Health Interventions. It was a text messaging company and we were focused on helping people with addiction meet their goals in recovery. Got funded through an SBIR, but boy, did that end fast. You know, I'm not really the business type. I actually went to Babson College for two years and I left to go study psychology. And But what I also realized was even though the healthcare institution wasn't ready to build a solution to text their patients. What was possible was there was direct consumer route and we went the general health route and then a diabetes company bought us for in quotation marks. Unfortunately that didn't work out and we ended up getting the company back and my partner and I, who is a CTO, we decided to start a nonprofit and we said, you know, let's get this tech back and let's figure out how we can empower individuals and, we focused on empowering parents. And what we realized was if we're going through and thinking of a lens of making it easy, parents are motivated, but they don't know what to do. So we started a company where we gave them personalized reminders and courses. And it turned out our first, and we were doing a lot of drug prevention intervention. And our first client was the Partnership for Drug Free America slash kids. And lo and behold, they were looking for a new CEO. They said, hey, let's merge. Come on as CEO. So my partner, Doug, and I came on, we brought our text messaging CRM. And ever since then, we've been growing this CRM. We merged with the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse. And now I'm the president of that merged organization called the Partnership to End Addiction. My partner, Creighton, is the CEO. And that brought me here, sort of this passion and excitement around what technology can do to overcome the barriers to people seeking help. Wow. What a powerful journey. And before we dive into the current work that you're leading, you and your team are leading with the Partnership to End Addiction, 
You opened up the door for me, Fred, so I'm going to walk through it because let me set the stage. Yeah, please. We are in troubling times right now, as we know, and, and things are even further exacerbated because of this pandemic, but people experiencing addiction, living with it, both family mm-hmm. members and the person addicted, these are trying times and it's touching every mm-hmm. corner of our country. And Fred, before we go to the work you're leading again over at Partnership and Addiction, can you share with our community the sense that there is hope, that you can come out on the other mm-hmm. side. I think that there's so much hopelessness around this topic mm-hmm. in that for, and I want to flip that script a bit and I want people to be able to hear from somebody like yourself who's leading this national movement with your partnership to end addiction. Can you share on a personal level what it was like to come out on the other side and that sense of hope that you can in fact achieve it? It's dark now. We've seen overdose rates rise in 2020. We have the state data the national data is also trending. It might be the worst year ever. Mental health crises. There's a lot of hopelessness. In terms of the opportunities to change, is there's never been more opportunity to engage in help because of technology, actually. Is that it used to be to go into a treatment center to start to reach out for help. And because of stigma and because of fear, there are so many barriers to getting help. Now you can text message someone to start that conversation. You can start to tell your story. And for me, my recovery started long before there were these options. But what it was, was someone reaching out to me and me reaching out to start that conversation and start that journey. That's what gave me hope. And realizing it's a journey. This is not a one and done. I don't go to treatment and then I'm better. It's that constant journey of staying connected to others. And when you're in that deep, dark despair, when you're in the middle of it, it's so hard to see. And what I offer to individuals and what I've seen, and I've seen dramatic transformations, is that if you take that first step to reach out and hold on, and if you're a family member, if you take that first step to reach out your hand, even if it's tough and you start to empower yourself with solutions, change is possible. I've seen people come back from literally a point where homelessness, a point where they were suicidal, a point where they were in an inpatient hospital, and now they're thriving. I've been in jail. I've been in methadone programs. I've been in inpatient centers, and I'm here now. And it all came down to reaching out for help and connecting with the right people. And now we're really in a place where we can do it. I love it. And thank you for being so candid and open to share your personal story, Fred. But it's important. People around our country need to hear from leaders like you, the realm and the art of possibility around these very difficult topics that touch so many of us. So let's talk about that here and now, Fred. It's an exciting time, what you're leading, the movement that you're creating in our country. And as you mentioned, to tee it up, you mentioned earlier that it was a joining of two pioneering and preeminent addiction-focused organizations, the Center on Addiction and then the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids that has now made the Partnership to End Addiction. You've built a lot of companies. You've specifically built tech companies. So you're probably used to giving that elevator pitch, Fred. Give us that quick overview, that elevator pitch. What is Partnership to End Addiction? We're really focused on transforming the way our nation addresses addiction by targeting family members, providers, policymakers, and anybody looking to change how addiction is treated in this country. And we really do it in a few ways. We focus on changing culture through our media. Many people know our ads from the Partnership for Drug-Free America. We've shifted to really focus on connection 
and focusing on that we can change stigma, that we know addiction is not a crime. We need prevention. We need treatment. And people shouldn't be afraid to reach out. We inform those policymakers so they know that care needs to be available. We need parity. Addiction needs to be treated like a medical condition. We focus on training providers, on evidence-based family therapies and innovations in the addiction field. And then lastly, and most importantly, we have direct consumer support services. We help parents, grandparents, other family members, and we empower them to know that they can make a difference. We have a national helpline, and I can go into all of that later in terms of some of our specific technologies that are really focused on engaging those loved ones to help their loved ones make a change. And can you give some examples of some of the actual on-the-ground tactical results that you've been seeing? You mentioned that this is a national movement, but what are some of those highlights that we should be contemplating as a community that you're delivering out in our communities across the country? You know, the thing that we're focusing on right now is expanding our service base to those individuals who are struggling and particularly those family members. And we have a problem in our society ultimately is we believe that we always have to go outside of our social circles to make a change. And there's really great evidence, you know, using parents as an example, they're the first, second, third responders. They're always there. And so as a parent or family member, if you're trained, you can make a difference. You know, we send someone to treatment and they come back from treatment to this environment where they're spending 24 hours a day. And if we train family members, we know that outcomes are better. And so what we're doing in terms of how we focus on this is we focus on engaging those family members and we make those services available. We have a range of tools so people can come in with their preferred mode of communication, text message, Facebook, email, phone, it doesn't really matter how they come in. We engage them however they want. And a little anecdote, when we added text to our phone line, we doubled in the number of people reaching out to us just by adding a text line. Wow. We added Facebook Messenger, the same thing happened. People are on communication channels, so we try to engage them there to make it easy for those individuals. And then our focus is we say we know that people have such different needs. So if someone's calling because their kids started smoking pot on the weekends, that's very different from methamphetamine every day and there's a risk of overdose and there's heroin involved and your loved one is homeless. So we triage and personalize through assessments and then we guide them with feedback. And once we do that, we figure out a way to then give them the right service. And if they want to speak to a specialist, we give them a specialist. They want ongoing text messages just to support them because they're not ready. We give them that. We give them links based on their assessment. Sometimes people just want a guide on how to talk to your kid about alcohol. As we think, and what we do is our goal is to be there for someone wherever they are on this journey. Then one of the things we focused on is it used to be we were a little bit of a one and done, right? We used to be a helpline where people would call. And now we're an ecosystem where we keep people engaged. And we keep people engaged as much or as little as they want. So We connect through synchronous and asynchronous communication. We use automated and human interaction. We keep that interaction going by connecting them to peers. We've trained about 400 parents who have a child in recovery or a child who's passed away from substance misuse. And we engage them that way and they can have five sessions with a parent coach. All of this completely free. They can go to online support groups. They can take e-learning classes. 
And the key here is we want to be that solution that when someone has no money, they live in the middle of nowhere and they don't know where else to go because family treatments are not reimbursed the same way as individual treatments. So there's no real financial incentive for organizations to treat family members alone that we're there for them. What an exciting overview. Thank you so much for diving in on that, Fred. And of course, you've been now leading the partnership to end addiction for about three and a half years, but there's still much more to achieve, I know. So what do you see on the horizon, not only for your organization, but for our nation, for the community members that you serve, where we're heading as an industry, the things that we need to be contemplating and keeping top of mind? Because this type of work that you're leading, it touches so many of us, again, as I mentioned earlier, in so many parts of our country. So where do you see things heading, not only for you personally with your organization, but for our nation more broadly? There's a lot of change happening over the last year, as we've all seen. And when looking at the opportunities that are coming towards us in the future, there's a few things. One is, I mentioned this preferred mode of communication and opening the door. You know, we've gone from a couple thousand separate individual families connecting to us to over 15,000 one-on-one connections in just three years. And a 1% reconnection rate to over 30% reconnection of people coming back. And so I think as we leverage our tech is focusing on ease and not making it hard for people to get care. And I know that seems like this grand statement of how do we actually do that? And I think there's many opportunities that some people are thinking about. And there's a lot of really amazing innovators And one is that we can use passive data to diagnose. There's a great literature on using social media posts to help alert if someone is going to have a mental health condition. We can tell if someone's a heavy drinker just by the images and words in their social media. We know that when people reach out and they're in an app to recover from substance misuse and they start cursing, That is a predictor of relapse before self-report is a predictor of relapse. So these just-in-time diagnostics, I think we're just getting started. And there's so much amazing research. We just published a paper on predicting impulsivity using how someone touches their mobile phone. So for example, how many times you turn your phone on and off is a predictor of sensation seeking. So these kind of passive diagnostics. And then that just-in-time intervention, how do we intervene just in that moment? And that mix of asynchronous, human, automated, where we're really engaging someone in the behavior change. I think we're getting there, but we're not entirely there yet in terms of what it really means to build a just-in-time intervention. And then around that is how do we talk about make it easy, that passive, how do we do something where we're giving these salient reminders to people to stay connected because right now our care is episodic. Even when we look at apps that are connected to people, there's still an episodic component to it. So how do we proactively reach out? And that's why I love text messaging. It's actually my favorite medium because if you look at the literature, it's simple, but it makes change goals salient and someone can ignore it. Someone can read it, but when someone's ready, they're ready to engage. And text messaging also helps us think about the journey. And that is the other thing that I'm really seeing this movement to think about the journey and the narrative of what it means to change is not we're treating something, but we're moving someone towards wellness. We're moving someone towards recovery. 
And recovery is what matters, not treating a condition or a disease. And then it's something that, you know, if you look at where we're going at the national organization, one of the things we do is we help people come in. So if you're fearful and you don't want to go to your local community center, we're okay with that. We take you, we hold your hand, but eventually you have to go back into the community because that's where real long-term change happens. So I think this opportunity to localize, to take and handhold and localize and connect people together locally is also another opportunity that we should not take lightly in terms of how we think about supporting others in the process. I couldn't agree more. You know, care is certainly local and we need to keep that top of mind. And it's an amazing what the power of community and connectedness can do mm-hmm. for all of us, both for our mental and physical health and well-being, and to be able to live a healthy, addiction-free life. It's very, very important. So Fred, thank you for sharing that of where you see things heading. And you know, it's important that we continue to focus on leaders just like you that are helping push our country forward to a better state. I know we can get there, but with leaders like you helping lead us, I know we will get there. So with that, we also want to be of help to you, Fred. We want to help you and the team with our community here. So what is one problem, need, or question that you or the team have that we can be contemplating or helping you with? So we support the supporters and we support the supporters for free. And so in terms of helping us, there's two things. One is I think we need more representation and louder voices to get families involved in care. If you're out there thinking about what difference you can make, you can make a difference in your community just by being a little louder. You can make a difference in what the person next door to you by reaching out whose kid might be struggling with addiction and buying them dinner. That's something you can do to change the stigma around addiction. And then there's also something you can do is you can help us. If you have a couple billion dollars with money, we run the nation only free helpline in the world that has this true ecosystem that keeps people connected over long periods of time when they might not have any money for care. So, you know, we've received a lot of grants. We're expanding our services. We're doing a lot, but anything you can do to support us, support your local addiction organizations or another national organization Addiction is not going away. And as we've seen over the last year, it's only getting worse. Well, if our community wants to do exactly that, Fred, where do we find you? Social media handles, websites, contact points online or otherwise, where can we find you? So we're the partnership to end addiction. We have Facebook, LinkedIn. We have all the fun social media handles. Our website is www.drugfree.org. If you're someone looking for support or help, you can text us at 55753. Again, that's 55753. Just text us and we're there for you. And then you can always reach out to me as well on LinkedIn. Fred Munch is my name. And I'd be happy to connect with anybody to advance the service to those struggling. We'll also have a post over at passionatepioneers.com where all of those contact points will be inside of that post for Fred's episode where you can also leave comments, questions, feedback, or ideas in the comments section at the bottom of that post, again, over at passionatepioneers.com. Or you can head in your favorite podcast player, just scroll down into the episode notes, and those contact points will be in there for you to click on through to get a hold of the team in order for you to continue to help Fred and his team push this opportunity forward. So thank you for sharing all of that, Fred. I'm going to close it out here with a fill in the blank as we say our goodbyes here shortly. Before that, I need you to fill this blank in for me. 
I'm a passionate pioneer because? Because we ask what is the outcome of our intervention as it relates to the human experience before even thinking about the technology to inform how we can improve the world. Awesome. Well, Fred, thank you so much for being here today and taking a moment to spend time with our community and to share what's happening in the partnership to end addiction. I'm grateful for all of your work. It's needed now more than ever and know that we're rooting you on here in Denver and across the entire country. But for now, again, Fred, thank you so much for being with us today. Mike, thanks so much for having me and for doing the podcast and really allowing people to share some of their new technologies, new experiences, nonprofit organizations that are really focused on changing the world. So thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode. 